Hey, everybody, Donald Miller here, and I know it's hot outside, but it's going to get cold before you know it. Christmas is coming. All of your end-of-year numbers are either going to be happy or sad, depending on whether or not you get your marketing in order. Are you ready for the end of the year? If you're not, you need to clarify your message. As a matter of fact, our next workshop is happening July 14th through 16th right here in Nashville. We always do a summer edition of the marketing workshop, and attendees tell us how much they love sprinting into the back half of the year with a marketing plan that'll help them hit their end-of-year goals. It doesn't feel like it's the end of the year, but you got to start working on that right now. If your marketing is falling flat, now is the perfect time to spend a couple days creating a message for your business that customers will actually respond to. Join me, JJ, Kula, and the rest of our team July 14th for the next StoryBrand Marketing Workshop. You can register at StoryBrand.com. We will see you there. Go to StoryBrand.com, register today, and have a great end of the year. It depends on whether or not you sign up. Go to StoryBrand.com right now. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hello, Don. Good to see you today. And you. A question for you. Go. How much time do you think we spend as a team, as an entire team, on two things? Okay. One is building the company Uh that is serving our customers, building products, all that stuff, Uh versus, and I don't mean to put them uh, against each other, but compared to building the actual team. That is creating team unity, Mm. uh, aligning our goals, developing each other professionally. What do you think is the quotient of, of <laughs> what percentage we spend on each um, the quotient good word well i would probably say in my mind those two things are not like where you kind of place them in adversarial roles well i, I mean I, just I in terms of the time you yeah, spend but i don't think you can build the company without building the team are you saying building the team is building the company yes. or building yes. the company yep. is building the team well i would actually say building the team is building the company so when you invest in the team and you align around goals you cannot build the company without those things so right. in my my mind they're synonymous if you try to build a company and just go we're only going to focus on the customers and we don't really care what's happening over here teams are not aligned you're not going to be able to do more people are not doing their jobs as well because they don't feel connected or have a clear vision of where they're going and so if you try to do one without the other i don't think you can get anywhere you have to build the team in order to build the company you almost don't differentiate between the two i don't i do in some ways in the sense that like uh you know next week we're doing an enneagram training we've taken these assessment tests all that kind of stuff that's really building a team carol dweck's mindsets training out of stanford we took the team through that yeah Uh, we do disc tests all those sorts of things. I, I understand what you're saying, yeah, yeah, but I guess yeah. I'm trying to delineate. Here's what I'm saying. I don't think when I first started the company that I realized how much time we would actually put into just bonding and getting along and developing each person's skills so that they can do a better job, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it was, a, I don't know, I can't say it's a slow process because we bought fully in within five years to doing that. Yeah. But you are right in the sense that it is jet fuel for serving our customers. Yes. But it is delineated. I mean, I would agree, like, those things you're talking about are not directly related to products we sell to our customers. But I don't think we could grow the business without those things. And I think that's what a lot of people who are in our stage of business, we've scaled Mm -hmm. up, we're five years in, which is pretty young, but we are now operating on all cylinders. Yeah. 
I think people who are where we are in terms of building their company have realized, oh my goodness, there's two things happening here. One is we're serving customers. The other is we're building a family or a psychology of yeah. community here. And you know, I joked with the last at the last Story Brand workshop that you built your products and that was awesome. And then you had to hire people, and you wish you would have gotten a degree in counseling yeah. in college <laughs> instead of your product because you had no idea that you were going to have to be a clinical yeah. psychologist in order to sell widgets. Yeah. But if you build a team, you've got to be. Well, and. The other thing is, is when you're a smaller company, when there were only five of us in a basement, you know, basically yeah. the camaraderie and the unity was and the aligned vision was really easy because we all literally sat across from each other. Yeah. You know? And as we've grown to about six, seven times that size between all the people who are involved in the organization, you have to be more intentional about those things yeah. and continuing to bring everybody back to on the same page, invest in the individuals and be really intentional about it in order to scale scale up. Yep. And I think that that's, I, we forget that because it came so naturally yeah. to us in yeah. the beginning. <laughs> and, and now so, we're, yeah, we're, now we're learning like, this. And we, yeah, I'd say we have, we have a really healthy culture, Yeah, but it has not come without challenges. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I love today's guest. It's Alden Mills. He's the guy who started Perfect Fitness. Yes. He sold, uh, I don't even know what company he sold early on. He sold it for 90 million. <laughs> uh, before that, he was a Navy SEAL uh -huh. and ran three different platoons in the Navy SEAL program. Uh -huh. Before that, he was an Olympic gold medalist rower. <laughs> Before that, he was a 12-year-old with asthma who was told he would never compete athletically. He needed to join the chess club. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> See, everything else you were going to say, I was like, that's why people confuse he and I. He invented the perfect push-up. Yeah, which he stole from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he watched you do a push-up, and he said, we need a tool that helps we other people. We need everybody do push-ups just like that. mortals should be able to do it like JJ. <laughs> they need a tool. I have man crush on all the mills. He's so inspiring. He's unbelievably inspiring. Yeah. And not only that, here's the thing. As a guy as tough as he is, yeah. this whole interview is about heart. Yeah. And I've seen this over and over, JJ, and it just drives me crazy. Those who try to coerce others, yeah. it will work momentarily. Yep. And then it will, I mean, I'm telling you, it will backfire on you so fast. I mean, that's what I love about him because individually, he is so impressive. Right. And yet, all he talks about is team and heart and loving people. That, to me, now makes him even that all the more impressive. Right? And, 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 you know, he would turn around and say, hey, there's no way I couldn't accomplish this stuff without yeah. understanding this. His book is called Unstoppable Teams. And if you're listening to JJ and I go, yeah, we really need this. What you really need is a framework. Yeah, You need some sort of step-by-step -step process that, you know, idiots like us can actually follow. <laughs> <laughs> and Alden has one. And, he, and we're going to go through it in this interview. It was both convicting, inspiring, and encouraging all at the same time for me as a leader. All right, I don't want to wait anymore. Here is Alden Mills. He wrote a book called Unstoppable Teams. And this is a fantastic conversation. You're going to love it. Alden Mills, thanks for joining us. It's an honor to be here, Don. Man, I'm, I'm glad to be talking to you. You know, my motivation is definitely to make my customers a lot more money, but there's this secondary, if not equal, motivation of just having a great time with the people that I work with. And I love your book because you've thought a lot about this. How much was building a team a part of your financial success, your business success? Uh, let me just start with everything. <laughs> Were you like me, though, that you didn't know that going into it and you discovered it? Or did you know right away, are you a team builder by nature and by desire? No, I definitely discovered it over time. And I have to tell you, it really started with sport because I just wanted to be good at something. And I just really sucked at a lot of different sports. <laughs> like, no, 
I'm not kidding you. I was the kid that scored on my own team in basketball, soccer, <laughs> lacrosse, hockey. And then I discovered the sport of rowing. And wow. I realized that, you know what? Sitting on my butt going backwards for a long period of time, I could do that. <laughs> and But more importantly, it was that, wow, this unbelievable feeling when eight blades got in the water at exactly the same time. And what it feels like when all eight worked as one. That was a joy that it sounds a little nerdy, but it was such a joy to be able to be part of something where no one person was more important than the other. You have to be together. You have to. Yeah. Unlike, unlike basketball where somebody can be a little rogue for a minute and you can survive. If somebody on a rowing team does that, you're sunk. You're done. Right. So basketball is a great example. You know, you see a lot of teams out there today that hire one superstar and they build a, a series of team supporters to support that one superstar. But the real joy of team building is when everybody feels like all their contributions are equal input. And I use rowing as that first example because that's what it was like in SEAL Team. There's no superstar in SEAL Team and there's no superstar... I believe, when you start an entrepreneurial company. Well, I want to get into your book explains how to build a team, you know, like a SEAL team or, or these things that you've been involved in. It's really counterintuitive, but you actually start, you have three parts, and the first part starts with yourself, leading yourself, understanding yourself. How, how important is self-awareness if you're going to lead a team? It's critical because a team is a reflection of its leader. And if you think of that, and I call it this mirror type effect where an individual's ability to lead their self directly reflects on the individuals around them. So now think about this for a moment. In this basic sense, a leader shows up five minutes late to a meeting. Yeah. What does that communicate to everybody else? Oh, well, it's that person can show up five minutes late. Well, I can show up five minutes late. Right. If that person starts to say, gee, uh, do this, don't do that, but they don't do the same thing, then people start to go, well, that's okay for me to do that. The leader sets the example, right? Right. But when you start to look at leading yourself, it's this conflict that you have internally. And I call that conflict the conversation. You know, in, in much the same way you have in your book about those three different conflicts that have to be answered, yeah. there is the internal conflict first and foremost. And I, I really, I start the book off with a story that happened to me when I was going through Navy SEAL training in the beginning, when this guy with a half a butt cheek showed up with a deep Southern accent, actually from <laughs> Tennessee, we call him instructor Memphis. And he talked about creating a conversation between the head and the heart. Now, I've expanded on that a bit and called it the whiner and the whisperer. Hmm. But how you lead that conversation, which, by the way, we all have these conversations every day, right? Our brain is constantly looking for the simplest ways, the ways to keep us safe, like you talk about on how to thrive and survive, but to do it with the least harm for ourselves. The same thing happens with all the other people on your team. And if you're not aware of that conversation internally, it's going to be very hard for you to help people externally on the team lead that same conversation. You were an actual commander in the Navy SEALs on at least three different missions, really important missions. Did you learn to do that? Here's what everybody's thinking as they're listening to you. They're going, well, that's the way he was wired out of the womb. How did you become the guy who could lead a Navy SEAL command a few times 
what was your transformation there or was there a transformation? How did you believe in yourself enough to be able to do something like that? It's a really manly story. It involves my mom. <laughs> As all you know, manly stories do. I, exactly. And, you know, I'll, I'd say this, like behind every great person is a better mom. Yeah. But in, in this case, I was 12. I got diagnosed with asthma, this mm -hmm. doctor, and I still remember him. He looked like this little Danny DeVito, but with white wispy hair and Coke bottle glasses and talking like he's smelling sour milk. And he goes, I <laughs> see what the problem is with you. You know, I didn't know I had a problem. And my mom's sitting there and he's like, he's born with a smaller than average size lungs and he's got asthma. He needs to learn the game of chess, lead a less active lifestyle. I go into full pity party mode and I'm like, oh my God, chess. And, you know, my mom puts me out in the lobby and one thing comes to another and I'm crying and she comes out and she goes, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, mom, chess? I suck at checkers. How am I ever going to play chess? Of course, I'm already down that mindset. Right. And mom, she digs her long fingernails into my forearm and it's like, look, nobody defines what you can or can't do. That's up to you. You have to determine what you can or can't do. Now we'll get you the medicine, but you've got to figure this out. And of course I didn't get it that day, but after about four years of them constantly reminding me, go try it. Go do something different, right? And I would call that voice our internal whisperer. The yeah. same thing that is very hard to hear from time to time. Let's know you got to get up and you got to try again and you got to try it differently and you can go harder and you can give more while the whiners going, no, 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 no. The doctor says, this is what I have. Therefore I have to do that. And that's the same thing when a team comes together. When a team comes together, what are they thinking about? Oh, I don't know if we can do this. God, I don't want to fail. I don't want. And when you bring a real team together, the whole idea behind a great team is to go do something greater than what any single individual can do, yeah. right? To go make a big impact, to do something maybe new to the world. That's what teams are about. Not groups of individuals to manage a project to go from A to B. I'm talking about something like bringing an electric car to new to the world, right? Putting a man on the moon. Those are the things that we're talking about. You know, it's interesting. I want to get to the team stuff here in a second, but I don't want to pass over something that I would consider one of the greatest life lessons I've ever learned. And, and all the study, there's so many studies and you've read them about internal locus of control versus external locus of control. And that doctor telling you that you've got asthma and you're going to need to play chess and you're not going to be athletic, that is a temptation to subscribe to an external locus of control. That is a message outside of me is going to dictate my future. And your mom amazingly said, no, your locus of control needs to be internal. That is, I will decide what. And so any sort of complaining we do is an external locus of control. Any sort of excuse that we have is usually an external locus of control, and external locus of control is correlated with depression, anxiety. People who have an external locus of control who are dominated by an external, they make less money, they're less happy, they have less successful marriages, on and on and on. It strikes me that what you really learned, at least were taught at 12 years old and locked into at 16, was an internal locus of control at a high level. And to me, is that what we, the main thing that we need to model to make our teams work? Yeah, that's the first thing. Because if you think about what a team is, 
it becomes this organism that is trying to act as one, much the same way we talked about a, a boat with eight rowers in it, yeah. all trying to act as one. A team is trying to do exactly that, but with a little different flexibility, like an amoeba that's trying to surround its prey and absorb it, right? Yeah. It's got this ability to very flexibly move around because they all know the direction of what they're doing. They're all using their own superpowers to make that thing happen. And that is a very good point because that internal locus of control extends from the individual to how the team feels compared to their external locus of control. I love it. You say in your book, being a care-based leader doesn't mean being soft on your teammates. To the contrary, it means caring for them enough to push them to unlock their very best effort. You, you actually use CARE, C-A-R-E, and we're going to go through that on how to lead a team, which is interesting for a Navy SEAL to have this sort of tender side, but you actually have to care. I mean, you say it over and over the book. On page three, literally, you start out, you must care. You have to care. It seems like a contradiction for a tough Navy SEAL guy to do this, but so many studies are actually showing if you don't engage your heart, if you'd actually go what we call below the line, that is into the human interaction with people, you're not going to be able to lead a great team. Before we get into C-A-R-E, you seem like a very loving, caring, although tough person. How much is caring about people actually part of your success? Everything. Can you tell me how you guys did it as Navy SEALs? When I took over my first platoon, and and by the way, when you when you talk about platoons, I was a three-time platoon commander. So I had three different platoons that I led over multiple missions over seven years in SEAL team. The whole thing, when I take over a platoon, the first thing I'd ask every one of these platoon mates, which by the way, the large majority of them had much more combat experience than I did. I was the most junior experiential guy, but I just happened to be the most senior in rank. I'd ask them, Hey, give me one, three, and five-year goals. I want three of them in each of those brackets, personal and professional. Wow. I don't care what they are. Just tell them to me. And you'd be surprised with some of these people when you'd get them separated from everybody because they didn't want to show their softer belly to their <laughs> other teammates, yeah. right? But you'd say, well, you know, I really want to learn another language or I want to go to college. I'm thinking I'd like to try and become an officer in the Seaman Admiral Program. God forbid they ever told any of their other teammates that. And once you started understanding those things, you say, okay, I want to help you do those things. Mm. I am here to help you, to serve you, to help you be better at what those things in life really are your drivers. You know, this is fascinating to me because... I actually sat down with Pete Carroll years ago, and I asked him, how did you transition from only thinking about your success to thinking about other people's success? And he said it was actually just after high school. I had experienced enough success of my own that it was no longer fulfilling, and I discovered when I helped other people win, I, it just lit me up, and it's never stopped lighting me up since. And I think that's one of the reasons he's the most beloved coach. And I think a lot of our listeners need to hear from you, a Navy SEAL. You actually, at some point, transition. I'm sure you have goals for yourself, and you like succeeding just like anybody does. But it sounds like a big part of your heart really gets lit up by people around you succeeding. And that is, in the ancient form of narrative, Aristotle, 2,500 years ago, in his book Poetics, all the way through the recent scholars— there's two roles that happen in a, in a story. There's the guide role, and then there's the hero role. And the guide role only exists to help the hero win. 
The guide is actually the strongest character in the story. They're the ones helping other people win. The hero's usually afraid, lacks self-confidence, unwilling to take action. Everybody wants to be a hero. I'm like, did you study heroes? They're a bunch of losers. The guide is actually <laughs> the one helping people win. And you are talking just like a guide. We use it for marketing, but it's true in leadership too, where you're going around going, how can I help these people win? How did you have that transition? When did that, it happened for Pete Carroll just out of high school, but have you ever sat to think about, when did I start caring about others as much or more than I care about myself. When did that happen for you as a leader? It happened when I was a young platoon commander. Yeah. And, and that's a very insightful point that you bring up, Don. I mean, let's be honest. Having listened to your book, why did you write StoryBrand? Right? I could feel your caring coming through because you wanted to help people be successful. I mean, I suspect that's why you're doing what you're doing today, right? It is so much more invigorating. It's so much more exciting. I do believe you kind of have to play the hero for a while to figure out your own confidence, and then you can help other people win. I kind of believe that's a part of the path. But for you, it was as a platoon commander. I mean, were, were there some relationships that you got into where you were just like, I can help these guys win, and, and their dreams are just as important as mine? I'm curious about that transition for you. So first, let me just paint a little context for you as this platoon commander. I'm the Clydesdale of my class. That means I'm the biggest guy, right? I'm over 220. Actually, a SEAL team, I was 260. Is that a liability when you're on the SEALs? Yeah, or, it's a you're liability. Not... <laughs> you're, you got these guys who are wrestler-sized people that are you know, are gymnastic types that can flip over backwards and do all kinds of, you know, like human ants. They can lift 10 times their weight. I knew very early on the only way I was going to succeed is that I really needed to very quickly build up trust with the most experienced people in SEAL Team. Now, SEAL Team does a pretty wonderful thing where they take the most junior experienced people and they create a team, which is the smallest team, called a Swim Buddy, and they take the senior most experienced person and they put them together to try and close the experience gap. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, it makes sense. And that is when I got teamed up with my senior chief, it became clear right out of the gate that, okay, there were very few things that I could help him with, but the few things that I could were about digging deeper into what was important to him and how I could use my position of authority to serve him. That's very important because in one of the chapters, which is respect, I talk about how you create and build an environment of contribution. And that is critical piece of a team where everybody feels like they can contribute. And to do that is to take your authority and give the power back. That's very hard for someone who is not self-aware, has a high ego, pride, insecurity, who wants to just keep all the power to themselves. But the more you use the power to serve the other team members to say, no, I'm here to help you be better, to help you find success, the more that, by the way, I call is care, mm -hmm. the people will start to dare for you because they will know in the simplest form that you have their back and they're not worried about their back anymore. Now they're worried about looking forward. Right. And that's the key. I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Alden Mills in just a moment. Listen, every day I sit down and I make about a two to five minute video and I just share something from my heart that I've learned in business. Specifically, I share things that will either make or save you money or save you frustration. 
first things that you want to say to somebody after you hire them, what they need in order to succeed, how to set goals and keep them, how to deal with gossip in the workplace, what's the most important word that you need to use in your marketing. Those are just four of the videos that I've already shot. If you want to get a video from me every morning that starts your business day in a short, brief way that gets you on track and helps you make or save money or save frustration, go to businessmadesimple.com. You really deserve to be coached. You deserve somebody speaking into your life every day. It's going to be your secret competitive advantage. And if you have everybody in your team go to Business Made Simple, it's going to be a competitive advantage for everybody on your team. Every human being deserves to be developed and almost nobody is developing them. If you care about yourself, care about your career, care about your team, and care about their lives, go to businessmadesimple.com and sign up. It's completely free. I'll literally send you a video every weekday morning. Just go to businessmadesimple.com. I'm going to get into the CARE framework. It is connect, achieve, respect others, and empower others. The very first thing we have to do is connect. Here's what most leaders do. They walk in the room and say, "We're going to, here's our goal. Let's move toward our goal. And they haven't actually earned the right to be heard. How do we connect with others? I think the first point of connect that everyone should understand is what's the goal? It was very specific of the four verbs. I want people to think of this like a flywheel, connect, achieve, respect, empower. And to connect, the goal is to build trust. And so where do you build trust from? Communication, credibility, and commitment. Now, there's lots of ways to, to pull apart, and I go through a lot of details on these things, but those are your three capabilities to build it. And at the highest level, how do you communicate with somebody? Do you use your body language, which represents 55% of how you get a message across, your tone, your eye contact, and then, of course, the words that you're using? But when you communicate with people, are you actually asking about anything other than what they can do for you? Hmm. The moment you flip the conversation and say, hey, what can I do for you? Or what are your dreams? Like you mentioned earlier. Yes. What are you dreaming about? Where do you want to go? What's keeping you up at night? You know, do you know that there are single parents on your team? Do you know that somebody just lost a loved one or dealing with somebody in hospice? All things that I've dealt with. And until you start to say, whoa, 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 you mean to tell me that that's why you're on the phone at three o'clock every afternoon because the nurses shift with your father who's going through hospice? Well, then we won't do meetings at three. Let's do them at 1.30 so you can be on the phone to make sure that That's the beautiful. hospice crew, right? Yeah. And those are little things. But the moment you take that little extra, it's probably a minute to ask that question, people go, whoa, this, this person's actually wanting to know about something outside of work. Yeah. Right? And if you start flipping the mindset of connect with everybody's a volunteer, SEAL team, everybody's a volunteer. Hmm. Every volunteer group I've led, I was the chairman of our bond campaign for our school where we raised $30 million. Wow. You know, you, you can't do it any other way but to treat people like volunteers. In today's super low unemployment world where the gig economy is growing and people are all thinking they can be their own bosses, what's the single best recruiting tool you have? Connecting with them and finding them a place where, you know what, we're better together than we are apart. And let me tell you how we're going to be better together. I'm going to help you with what's important to you. Yeah. It's so counterintuitive, right? Because especially those of us who are leaders, we tend to be Enneagram 3s, Enneagram 8s, type A driven, high D on the disc test, low empathy. 
and we don't we fail to realize that empathy is actually a just a power value that can help you get your things done and you still get to connect with other humans and get taken care of and taking care of others at the same time. It's something that we pass over. I, I want to follow up on that for yeah. a minute. You also break it down to the the human physiological pieces of the puzzle, right? That mm-hmm. are going on. They're physiological pieces of team leadership. And one of them is our instinctive ability to nurture, right? You talk about it in StoryBrand. Our instinctive ability to care for others that maybe we don't even know. And if you look at human psychology, and this is very scientifically proven, we reciprocate with care. Unless you're a psychopath and your amygdala is not firing and you just can't get emotional. But if you hold the door open for somebody, 99 out of 100 times, someone that somebody will turn around and hold the door for the next person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That is the first step of this whole flywheel of care is showing people consistently through your credibility, not lying and being honest and being accountable and your commitment of backing up what you say you're going to do. You do this time and time again, people will slowly start to drop their barriers and say, you know what? This person truly cares. Let's start daring. Uh, That's beautiful. And I I don't think it's just the first step. It really feels like the foundation. Yes. It feels like you can't move on to achieve respect and empower until you connect. But let's move on to achieve. You say on page 74, the team leader's role is to help team members see well beyond the visible horizon and find ways to surpass real and or imagined limitations. You know, have you read Viktor Frankl's stuff, his logotherapy and man's search for meaning? You're basically guiding people through logotherapy. You're helping heal their their psyche when you take them through this framework. You know, so I am a fan of Viktor Frankl. Oh, he's amazing. Uh, I haven't read all of his things. Well, you can't but... read all of his things. You can only understand every fourth word if he's not no. putting the cookies on a lower shelf. <laughs> I think I mean the Cliff Notes version of those sorts of things, yeah. but it's true. And you know, that inner locus that you talked about earlier, that's the same thing with the team when I'm talking about beyond the horizon, right? Imagine a whole bunch of people come together at the beginning of a season and say, this year we're going to win the Super Bowl. And they never even made it to the playoffs. How is that possible, right? That's that inner locus. We never even made the playoffs. How could we possibly win the Super Bowl? That's like my mom who caught me right at that moment where I never thought I could get to the Super Bowl, i.e. be more active in my lifestyle. Said, hey, you can win the Super Bowl. Go try. Here's how we're going to do this. Now, there's a lot more to it than just the whispering. But when you have built that foundation of trust, now you can start getting into achieving and achieving is really about setting direction. So using the Super Bowl analogy, you got to aspire them, right? Now, I am a military guy through and through. So I have manipulated the English language to make it as easy as possible to remember not only the acronym CARE, but also each of those C's, A's, R's, and E's are backing up what I want you to do for each of those. So there's five A's underachieve. You have to aspire. You have to assume. And this is a very difficult thing for a lot of people. If somebody's already made it through your recruiting process, you need to assume they can do the job. Oh, that's so that is so huge for people who have trouble delegating. You know, you you hired a rock star, let them be a rock star. Right. And then what do people do? They hover over you and instead (laughs) of teaching, they're telling. Yeah. That's a fine line, right? You don't want to tell everybody every moment of the day. Then you become a micromanager and they're like, well, you know what? I I can go get this somewhere else. I don't need this. And 
if you can't assume and you can take a deep breath and say, wait a minute, you just mean I'm checking out? No, because the third A is assess. Periodically, we'll set up standards. We're going to assess the team's progress. And you know what we're also going to assess? Catching somebody in the act of doing something great. Yeah. How fun is that, right? It's so fun. And then there are times where we got to assure them, hey, I keep failing. I'm not doing this. It's not working for me. We got this. Forget your inner locus. I'm going to be your positive external locus. We can get past this horizon and win the Super Bowl. Yeah. And then the final piece is appreciate. And appreciate goes through the whole thing. Appreciate their efforts. Appreciate what external things you're dealing with. And appreciate the progress and perspective that you've done to date. A lot of people, there's some leaders, and and I, I really believe it's a minority, but every once in a while you run into one. They can't appreciate. They feel like if they appreciate, then they're going to get less effort out of people. You know, they always want to keep this lack or this gap of you haven't quite pleased me yet. And I, I just find that to be really dysfunctional. And, and those teams burn out so very, very quickly. I love that you throw appreciate in there. Aspire, assume, assess, assure, and appreciate. Hey, you're probably at the point of the podcast now where you can't write all this down. The book is called Unstoppable Teams. You're going to want to go get it. The third part of the framework is respect. And you say on page 92, if you want your team to care about their customers, show them how to care for each other. Absolutely critical. It's not enough for just you to bestow care. You must demand that each other care for each other. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's got to bring flowers or sing happy birthday and those kinds of things. What we're talking about is the care of different points of view, of different opinion. You see, everyone talks about diversity, and and I think a lot of people today think diversity is like this HR focus. The true point, from my perspective of diversity, is a diversity of thought, hmm. not a diversity of heart. Your mission as a team leader is to make sure everybody's heart is in alignment with the objective at hand. But you want diversity of thought. And diversity of thought will only come when there is mutual respect, where everybody will feel safe and empowered to raise their hand and say, sir, I have a different idea. Mm -hmm. Or Mr. or Ma'am or whatever, right? They feel free to push back. They feel permission to be themselves and bring their whole person to the game. Yeah, and I I give this story in this chapter about a mission we were doing in Bosnia hunting a war criminal, and we were stuck, and we were surrounded by all these troops that were walking around that were bad guys and everything, but the real thing we were stuck on is we had this digital camera, we're trying to take this picture of this person, this really horrible person, and the cars were going too fast. And this was a first generation digital camera and it just wasn't working. And the commander's saying, Hey, we're going to cancel this mission. And we're out in the middle of the woods huddled under, you know, camouflage netting and all kinds of things. And, and I'm like, does anybody have any ideas? And we came up with some pretty ridiculous ideas. <laughs> and my most junior guy turns to me and he says, uh, sir, what if we dig a pothole? I'm like, pothole. Hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> and everyone is like, hey, sir, I think that would work. If we dig it big enough, uh, we could slow those cars down. We could take the picture. <laughs> and you know what? It, it worked. It worked. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it was a risky thing because we had to go out from our cover in the middle of the night. And we set up 
you know, night vision goggles that we were wearing and we had infrared lights all over the place and we had the little comm link and it's only five of us out there, but that worked. And then, you know, the best part of it, when you get to debrief, cause debrief is a very important part of missions. I debriefed all our missions over a six month period of time back at SEAL team two and all the new guys come in to listen to these stories and you know what you can learn because you want people to stand on your shoulders and not make the same mistakes. I called out the most junior guy and said because of his idea, he made our mission successful. You got that picture. What do you think that happens for two different things? The most junior guy, how do you think he felt? How do you think the other junior guys who heard about that felt? And then the other platoon commander is going, wow, that was really cool that he did that. Hmm. That's very empowering, yeah, right? Yeah. And that kind of respect creates an environment of contribution because that's what the goal of mutual respect and, is. And that was a turning point for him, I'm sure. He will never forget that. One of the things that a guy does in a story, you know, in any movie, Star Wars, Tommy Boy, doesn't matter, the guide helps the hero believe in themselves helps the hero transform into a better version of themselves. And you're, you're writing the script for that. Okay, achieve, respect, and empower. You say on page 127 of, of Unstoppable Teams, nothing shows people you care more than dedicating time to helping them learn new skills. You actually develop your people. Without question. And the key on that that becomes really helpful is if you've taken the time to understand what their superpower is. I love right? that phrase. Yeah. I love, I love figuring out people's superpower because they usually don't know they have it. No, they don't really have it or they just, it's locked away so much that they're like, no, I, I just have to be good at spreadsheets. You're like, no, wait a minute. You're way better than just spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. You could be doing X. And, and once you've taken that extra effort to say, you know what? You are super great at communicating. We need to get you into Toastmasters. I want you to become even that better at awesome. it. That education, enabling, and engaging with your people, that closes the loop, and that empowers them to not only be owners, but also be owners of the new team members that come in and completes the care loop and just keeps it spinning with everybody else that comes in and spins out of the team because teams break apart right? Yep. Things get accomplished. New teams come together. It strikes me, Alden, as you talk, I think there's a crisis going on in the country. America is no longer developing its people. You have to develop yourself so fast that what used to be illiteracy, I can't read, is now you've got to learn something, unlearn it, and relearn something new. That's the new level of literacy, and it's moving lightning fast. We have to develop our people. Without question. And having gone to a wonderful MBA program, they're not teaching people to lead. They're teaching them a new vernacular, a new language of business. But what people really need is exactly what you're talking about. They need these life skills. And once you arm them with these life skills, Don, it's like they got their own boat. They can now navigate this to go way past that horizon, that their only limit becomes their imagination and their determination. And if you can do that for people, that is the greatest gift you'll ever receive. Because I'll tell people all the time, when you give that power away, it comes back in the most important form of power there is gratitude. Oh gosh. Yeah. You and I think exactly the same. It's just, these are things that you discover along the way. And, uh, may every, every person listening to this podcast have a boss or be a boss who cares about developing 
you. I, I think story brand exists for two reasons. One is to help customers clarify their message so that they can make more money in their marketing. And the other reason is to build the team that does that. Just getting everybody so that you are the best version of yourself. I want my people so valuable on the open market that I have to compete always to give them raises and so that I can keep them. That's what a rock star is. You're, you know, you, you, can, yeah, right. you can hire somebody and see their potential, but they can be developed into a rock star right under your eyes. All right, we got to move. There was three parts to this, uh, this book. The first is you got to learn to lead yourself and manage yourself. The second is learning to lead a team. You do that by connecting with them, achieving, respecting, and empowering. But then you have maybe what we're all looking for here, what really uh, is the icing on the cake, and that is the 10x advantage 10xing your productivity, 10xing all that you're trying to accomplish here. Talk to me about the 10x advantage. How does all this come together and what does it look like in the end? So the care loop is not designed just for your internal few people in your imaginary boat that we're referring to here to go past the horizon together. There are a whole bunch of other people that support that boat. Mm -hmm. There are these people called customers. <laughs> there yeah. are these people that are contributors Maybe they are the people that are shipping your product. Maybe they're your manufacturers. Maybe they're your outside marketers. You may think of them as vendors and suppliers. Those are contributors, and they're critical to helping you with your company, with your organization. And then the final component is your community. And I believe a lot of people today really kind of give lip service to some of these. But the care loop is not intended just for the people inside your team. It's also critically important to expand your care loop to your customers, the three C's, customers, contributors, and your community. And when all three of those groups say, hey, you know what? I feel like I'm part of that team. Hmm. I cannot let this group fail. I'm not going <laughs> to let them fail. Once, once your brand is attached to somebody's self map, they want you to win. And you know, when I give in examples, I give military examples, I give uh, community examples, like the Green Berets and the ODA team with 12 strong. Here are 500 total Americans that go into Afghanistan and they take on 50,000 people. That would be the Taliban. How did they do this? They did that through building a whole series of relationships. What is this whole book really about? It's about learning to build relationships with humans to get them to move from being selfish to selfless. And how are you going to do that? You're going to do that by the most powerful emotional driver we have, and that's love. Hmm. And that love is based on care. That is a wonderful place to end. The book is called Unstoppable Teams. It's Alden Mills. This has been one of my favorite conversations of the entire year, and I'm so grateful to spend time with you. It's a pleasure to call you a new friend. I also want to just say publicly, thank you for your service. Thanks for serving our country. Your sacrifice is unbelievable and noted, and, and we are incredibly grateful for all that you're doing, both uh, for our country in the service and also as an entrepreneur, building the middle class, creating jobs, and caring enough about your people to develop them. And I think we've got a great soldier and leader in you. Thank you so much. It's an honor, Don, and thank you for what you're doing. I'm a big believer in what you do. JJ, here's another secret thing that uh, Alden didn't talk about. Yeah. 
entire Enneagram twos all around you. <laughs> which you have. <laughs> That's what I did. Which you have. <laughs> That's what yes. I did. I, on the DISC test, I'm as high D as you can possibly mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because I test as low empathy. I, I'm probably very low empathy, but I'm high sentimental. And so it's a weird yeah. kind of mix. But one of the things that I did, and I did it sort of accidentally, and now I do it intentionally, I hire people who are high empathy all around me because they really, they're kind of like that dashboard light or that, you know, that yeah. blind mirror monitoring thing on your truck that yeah. goes beep, beep, beep. <laughs> Somebody in the, you guys do that to me all the freaking time. Yeah. <laughs> on Strengths Finders, empathy is my number one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would say it's it's greatly affected our culture and I have greatly benefited from that. You're well, good at this. And so are you. I mean, even just last night, my dad went into surgery yeah. and he had some complications with some stuff. And you even texted me last night, like, how's he doing? And everything. So you're better at this. Well, than you I texted think. you last night because I forgot to mention it when we spent all day together. <laughs> so there's <laughs> going to bed last night. And I went. I don't know how JJ's dad is. We spent all day together. So I'm okay at it. <laughs> you're, you're better than you think. You're better than you think. But uh, Alden is right. I mean, you know, we've got to spend eight hours a day together. Why not act like a family? And I, and yeah. I don't want to say be a family because yep. your boss, your employees, they can't replace a mom, dad, yep. siblings. They can't do it. But in some ways, you know, there's that scripture that says a, a friend who's closer than a brother or whatever. Yeah. You know, I think of it like that sometimes where, yeah, yeah we're, we're not family, but we can be like family. And in ways, we can be even better and more encouraging. Yeah. And the whole idea of if we're going to spend eight hours together and we're going to do that for five or seven or eight years or 20 years, however long yeah. your career is with this company, why not just learn to care for each other? It, it contributes to mental health. Yeah. As Alden and I talked about it through uh, logotherapy, through Victor Frankl's stuff. He's basically guiding you through Victor Frankl's logotherapy. Yeah. He's healing your mind in this book, and he's teaching you to heal others. It's just huge, and so why waste our time? A beautiful book, an incredible man. The the book, again, is called Unstoppable Teams by Alden Mills. I know you're mad at me. You have a, a... a stockpile of books on your in on your <laughs> nightstand. I do too. Uh-huh. We are in this problem together. Yes, we are in it together. <laughs> but someday you'll get to those books. Yep. Yep. And uh, <laughs> this is another one to add to uh, your business library. JJ, wonderful episode. So great. All right, everybody. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest record, Dive Deep Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. JJ, I don't know if you know, Andrew's going on tour. No. And he's coming to Nashville. He's at the basement east. Oh, we're there. Yep, we're there. I, I actually wanted to get a bunch of tickets, but it's, it's like 200 people standing. <laughs> yeah, so it'll one. just be our staff. Uh, but he's going to be on tour. Uh, you can you can just Google where Andrew Bell is going to be. You definitely want to hear him live. It's, it's absolutely a phenomenal musician. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. <laughs>